Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Madison Taylor. Madison is the co-founder and chief editor for the meditation website, The Daily Ohm. She is also the author of a few different books, including Unmedicated, The Four Pillars of Natural Wellness. Madison is going to teach us how to live a happier and healthier life. Madison, can you talk to me a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I have one of those really sad stories uh, where I grew up in an abusive household, had a father that was quite abusive and a mother that was really checked out. And I actually had my first panic attack when I was in about the third grade, which is quite early. And that really sort of started my tumble into anxiety and depression at a very young age. And by the time I got to high school, you know, your hormones kick in and things kind of really get bad in high school. And for me, I started having suicidal thoughts and I was extremely shy didn't really talk to anybody, felt really alone. And so I started to self-medicate early. I started drinking, I started smoking, I started sleeping around with boys a lot and um, had really low self-worth. And by the time I got out of high school in my early 20s, I just really ratcheted all of that up a notch and started doing harder drugs like cocaine. I was drunk a couple of nights a week, really sleeping around and not having real love in my life. And, you know, that was my answer to everything. I was having a good time. I thought everything was great. But what I didn't know is that all of these unresolved issues from my childhood um, was had left me severely depressed and with anxiety. And that ended up causing uh, severe illness, which is really how my journey began was from being severely sick. In fact, I was so sick that a neurologist said to me, Madison, you're the sickest person I've ever met. And I have no idea what's wrong with you. So that was a huge wake up call. So that started it all. Were you able to unravel what he was saying there? Like, how did you identify that it was the early childhood trauma and that you were self-medicating through all these different things that you were doing. Because when a person's in that tunnel, it's hard to see ourselves, like, right? So how did how do you identify that? So uh, it was a journey. It didn't happen overnight. I spent tens and thousands of dollars on tests just to have doctors say, you know, you're really healthy and we don't know what's wrong with you. And... Uh, Honestly, what happened is I was so sick I couldn't work. And one day I had the strength and the energy for some reason to walk into, I'll call it like a new age store, you know, those shops that have, you know, CDs and books and crystals and that sort of thing. And it's not something I had ever been interested in. And I walked in, they were playing this really lovely music. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I brought a CD home and I sat and I listened to it. And it got me so relaxed that I started doing that every day. And through starting that sort of a practice, I came to the realization that my physical illness was because of these unresolved issues. You know, I was seeing psychiatrists and everything and nobody, not one person ever said to me uh, that your physical illness is because of your early trauma in childhood and your unresolved issues. And it's really mind boggling and actually quite sad um, how overlooked I was in the system. And I really had to take my life into my own hands. And, you know, I was a young, naive girl, really scared and um, to have to undertake that journey on my own. But apparently that was part of my journey was to figure it out on my own. And so really through a, a long journaling process and meditation process and seeing all sorts of healers, it really all started to unravel to the point where I could become a successful businesswoman down the road. Wow. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, what were some of the first 
You mentioned the CD and going and listening to the CD and having it calm you down. Do you remember what was on that CD? You know, I don't, um, but it was just meditation music. It wasn't even a guided meditation, and but that's what I needed, and I just really took the time every day, um, and I wasn't able to work, so I chose the same time every day in the same chair, and I put it on, and I think um, it was probably 40 minutes of just relaxing music, and just from that, I noticed a shift for me, and what that enabled for me to happen was that uh, it helped spirit or God or universe, whatever you want to call it, be able to whisper in my ear because I finally was able to stop the activity in my brain and relax and listen to the whisper. And then the whisper told me to go back to the store and get a guided meditation. And so that's what I did next. And, And when you got that guided meditation, how did that impact you? So really, you know, I was so sick. I was a very much a baby step type of person. And these are really small steps. And so the guided meditation was just the next step in meditation, where instead of zoning out and tuning out, the guided meditation helped me tune in. And I started to go from sort of a laying down position because I was so sick. I really couldn't, you know, sit upright with my uh, uh, straight spine, which is what people, the ideal position for meditation is really to have a straight spine. And I wasn't able to do that. But um, every day I was really dedicated because I noticed the results. And um, yeah, guided meditation was the next step. And then, you know, it was just more baby steps after that. I want to ask you about these steps, um, but I one thing I want to comment on is: Did a doctor ever, or, or somebody ever, help you identify what, um, like, why you were sh- so shut down? Like, what was actually happening in your in your body? Well, um, the neurologist at the time gave me really what was popular in the 1990s was this panacea solution and they said oh you have chronic fatigue syndrome and that was the bucket they threw people in when they didn't know what was wrong with you i have come to realize that uh, my mental condition caused these physical symptoms and my neurologist said, you know, you're depressed. And I said, no, I'm not, because his solution was to give me my first little green pill, which was Prozac. And I said, you know, what is this prescription? And he says, oh, it's uh, Prozac. And I said, isn't that an antidepressant? And he said, yes, it'll help you get off the sofa. And I said, but I'm not depressed. And he said, yes, you are. And that was really the first time I had associated that word with me because I thought depression looked very different. I thought depression looked like the 500 pound person on the sofa and their sweats that didn't ever leave their house and or maybe was homeless and depression didn't look like me or anxiety. So that was a shock to hear that. And um I really didn't want to go home and fill that prescription. Um, I had an inner feeling that I didn't want to do that, but I was also so absolutely desperate to feel better because I was so suicidal and so sick. I couldn't work. I couldn't function. And I was desperate. And so I took that pill. And I have to tell you, he said, you know, this is going to take 30 days to kick in. And I was prepared for that. Okay, I'll count the days. I'll mark it on the calendar. In 30 days, everything's going to be better. I'll be normal. Everything will be grand. Um, But I have to tell you, I took the pill. And 20 minutes later, not 30 days, but 20 minutes later, I felt my brain wake up. I felt activity in my brain, like connections were being made. And it completely freaked me out in a good way. I was I was surprised. Um, and that told me two things. One is that it was also a journey into realizing that I'm a highly sensitive person, that uh, small doses of anything I feel in big ways. And number two, I was so depleted in serotonin that my body absolutely soaked it up 
like a sponge. And, you know, that really started my hamster wheel um, life experience uh, down that road of, of meds. A few things come up for me as you're, you're telling this story. One is, have you ever read the book that the body keeps the score? No. I was reading it today. I've been reading over the last couple of weeks on and off. It describes your exact situation. Um, and, and basically on multiple levels. And, um, and I think everybody can listen to, like, understand this on some, some level. But what he says, and I'm curious how this ties into some of your own discoveries, but one of the things that he says is that, um, when we have a trauma, the first thing we do is look for our friends. And then if we don't have friends, we go into fight or flight. And if we can't do that, we go into freeze. And um, our body begins to shut down and we disconnect from our emotions. Our body physically shuts down in all kinds of different ways. And uh, and then he goes on and talks about what is it, how children, like a attachment theory and how children uh, end up shut down and they can't escape. So the different types of forms of attachment they develop. I mean, literally all the stuff that you're talking about, it's, I find it so, so fascinating. He even talks about how the system has failed with diagnoses. Um, and, and all the politics that, or not all of it, but some of the politics that's around that. I, I, um, I mean, it's, it's amazing to hear you describe your story and how much it parallels some of the things that I was reading even this morning. Yeah. And that's that I talk about this without, um, you know, I'm an open book and because people need to hear more stories like this, because there's a lot of us out there walking wounded, walking emotionally wounded, and people need to know that um, we can heal. If I can do it, anybody can do it, believe me. I mean, I'm so thankful that you're sharing this. And um, I've been through my own <laughs> own traumas that I've talked about on podcasts and, and how that caused me to shut down in different ways. Um, but yeah, I'm so thankful that you're sharing the story. What was the next step? You said you went on medication. Um, you also said that you talked to different types of healers. What was the next step on your journey? Yeah, so when I was able to start this meditation practice every day and allowing uh, my brain to clear and hear the whispers, and I'm not literally hearing voices when I say that, just to be clear with people. It's just I would have inner knowings happen to me in that silent space. And um, I had the feeling that, oh, I should go get acupuncture. I had never indulged in alternative therapies before. Nowadays, it's not considered too alternative. But I just looked in the yellow pages and found an acupuncturist, which is nuts. I would never do that now. I'd probably ask her recommendation. But I found a lovely, lovely gentleman who was just very gentle and very kind and loving. And I started acupuncture next. So I was meditating and I was doing acupuncture. And um, I guess maybe after a few months of acupuncture, I got another little feeling and I had the feeling I wanted to ask him, hey, do you know any hands-on healers? And it's known by a lot of different names. Some people call it Reiki, um, lots of different types of modalities. And he said, yeah, you know, I know this woman I went to school with. Um, she's a medical intuitive, and she just always seems to know what's wrong with people um, far ahead of anyone else. And so I started seeing her, and I slowly developed um, what I call my, my healing team. And I spent a lot of time, probably every day I was going to some sort of healing. And sometimes it was just, you know, regular old massage, which was considered normal in my regime at the time. And that's what I did. I spent a good couple of years just rebuilding my body because um, it was really destroyed uh, from, I think when you experience trauma when you're a young child, it's um, has more time to really play with your cells, right? And your your genetics. It's it's getting messed up at an early age before you've had time to fully develop into, you know, an adult. And unfortunately, I had a lot of um, bad experiences as a young adult as well, being 
I had two attempted kidnappings or abductions on my life, which was very traumatizing to have one, let alone two. And so for me, I just knew that life meant, you know, trauma. And so I created my team to help me. I didn't know where I was going, where this was leading, but I just kept doing the work, meditating, listening to the whisper, and, you know, really being a good student and doing what asked, doing what was asked of me. How long did you pursue this process for before you started to really notice changes in yourself and your body? Um, I noticed changes right away. But the problem was, is um, I'll use the words, my body wouldn't hold the charge. And what I mean is I would go and get the healing done and I'd feel great for a day. But then the next day I'd feel bad again. And I just um, was so beaten down and I didn't have my toolbox in place yet with my my learning tools. I was being worked on physically, but not mentally. So that work was yet to come. And so I couldn't hold a charge. So I really went through a couple of years of having all this physical healing done to me, which you know, was probably what I needed to do. And then my journaling practice came into play. And for me, that was a game changer, honestly, um, to be able to start writing. And believe me, I wasn't a writer at the time, but um, being able to explore my feelings on the written page, knowing that nobody would see it, no one would read it, it was just for me, uh, that then started more of the the mental journey and repairing um, my depression and anxiety in that in that way. Can you talk about how you got into journaling and like what what type of things would you journal about? How frequently would you journal? Like, what was that practice like for you? So, like meditation, it it had to be daily. And um, I read this book. Oh. What was it called? I'll think of it later. Um, and she suggested journaling every day and just writing whatever came to your mind. And I was at the point where I was feeling uh, confused and I think it showed up a lot as anger. And so I would get um, my journal out and I just use those cheap spiral bound journals because I didn't feel like my thoughts were worth a nice journal. So I get these 99 cent journals at the drugstore and I would write, you know, expletive you on the page, F you on the page, you know, for three or four pages in a row, just F you, F you, because I just had all this anger coming up and that really scared me. Um, back in those days, there was no such thing really as journaling prompts like there are nowadays. And I just felt like, okay, I need to just journal what's in my head, what I'm feeling. And what I was feeling was, you know, anger, like, how dare I get dealt this life of, you know, misery. And so for quite a long time, it was just a lot of expletives coming out. <laughs> and if uh, people that know me think that's rather funny, because I have a rather angelic appearance. And, um, you know, looking back, it is funny, but, you know, that's what needed to come out first. And then I really just started to zone in on, okay, you know, first I need to deal with my dad and, uh, and everything that he had done to me. And, you know, he was a rageaholic and a very unkind person. And I'm pretty sure undiagnosed mental illness, um, probably psychotic and who knows what. And so I really needed to, deal with him and so I would just write about him in my journal and let things unfold and you know I probably should have been seeing a psychiatrist or a therapist uh, but that wasn't my world I didn't know anyone that did that and quite frankly by this point I really didn't have any friends left because I was sick for so long uh, and depressed for so long that people you know, they gave up on me. And I had a very small, small circle that consisted of my boyfriend at the time, who eventually became my husband, um, and maybe one other friend. And so it was, um, 
the tour of the lonely, quite frankly, and figuring it out on my own. Your relationship with your boyfriend who became your husband, can you talk a little bit about that? And how did you meet him? Um, how did that relationship change and evolve and grow? Yeah, so the night I met him, it was pretty interesting. I was out with friends. And this is really an interesting story about Universe at Work. Um, I was to meet some people at a restaurant in Seattle where I was living at the time. And as I was giving these people directions on how to get to this restaurant, I was giving them the wrong directions, telling them basically to go the wrong way. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I knew they were wrong. But I was almost like something had control over my body and I was giving these incorrect directions. And so I get to the restaurant and clearly they're not there yet because they're gone the other way. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the parking lot. And so that's what happened is I was forced to wait in the parking lot. And because of that, I see this cute guy drive up in this BMW and pass me and I get one look at him and I said, I'm going to marry him. And I watched him park his car and get out of his car and go to the restaurant by himself. And I'm, I said, okay, I need to meet this guy. And so, you know, 20 minutes later, my friends arrive a little bit mad at me uh, that I sent them on a wild goose chase. And um, so long story short, um, he had just moved to town and he was eating by himself and I was in the bar with my friends. Um, that was the last night I ever did drugs. I met Scott and, um, you know, that was it. It was pretty much a love at first sight. Uh, maybe probably more on my end, um, but I never did drugs again after that night. And there was a real magic spark there, and um, I didn't feel the need for it. And the other thing that happened is my body started not allowing me to drink anymore, which is a great blessing. Um, I started getting stomach aches when I drank, and I just I, my body would not let me, and so I stopped. Thankfully, I wasn't an alcoholic. It was no trouble for me to stop drinking. It was no trouble for me to stop cocaine. I was still smoking. Um, that that came later. So yeah, um, that was 1990 when I met Scott. Um, that was 28 years ago. So how, uh, how old were you at the time? I was 24. And he was, I think, just turned 22. So I was the older woman. <laughs> <laughs> And and how long did you date before you married? So this is really interesting. Um, we didn't get married for five years. We were doing that whole um, kind of rebellious thing. If everyone can't get married, if gay people can't be married, then marriage isn't real. You know, fighting the system, you know, that's what young people do. And so we were making a statement but to be honest, um, right after I met him, I got sick and, you know, we needed the tax break and um, I needed health insurance. And this guy, you know, he stuck with me when I was completely debilitated. And that just shows you his character. You know, at the sickest point, I could not, could not get out of bed to go to the bathroom. He had to carry me to the bathroom. And I remember looking at him saying, why are you staying with me? And he just looked at me and said, why wouldn't I? Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I'm curious, how, how did, like, how did that relationship, because you said you were down to basically him and maybe another friend, like you were down to, you had lost a lot of your friends. How did you use that relationship with him to build a foundation to rebuild your social life? Or did you? No, I didn't because he's um, one of these brilliant guys. And usually people, when they have that level of brilliance, they're not super social. He's was really cute and adorable, but he wasn't particularly social. He was more interested in, you know, programming, programming a computer or designing. He was a video game producer. Um, so designing video games. So um, that didn't come from him. That really had to come from me. But it came many, many, many years later um, when we moved to Los Angeles in 1999. So about nine years down the road. And moving to LA was a part of my healing process as well, getting from the dreary rain, 
and gloom of Seattle to moving to the sun was another component in my healing. And I just really decided, you know what? New town, new awareness, new lease on life. I'm just going to make friends with everybody. And I did. <laughs> I just, I made friends with my facialist, like anybody, the person in the grocery store, uh, any of my neighbors. I just really decided to make an effort. Um, but by that time, I had some strength. You know, I was getting out of the house. Um, and my mental state, I had things to actually talk about. Because when you're so sick and when you're depressed, a lot of the reasons you don't want to go out is because you feel like you're going to be a Debbie Downer and you feel like you have nothing to contribute to a friendship um, or even a conversation because I wasn't working and I was sitting in my house all day. You know, what was I going to talk about? Now, of course, a true friend wouldn't care. They would just sit in silence with you. They just want to be friends with you. But from my perspective, I thought, I was very much a failure in that department. And so how did how did you or did you go find people who would sit with you in science or did you how how did you start adding more color into your life? And and then how and then once you moved, how I mean it sounds like you would make you said that you'd make friends with everyone. Um what were you doing? Like how were you connecting with with people? What were you asking them to meet up and have a coffee? Were you asking them to be your friend? Yes. What did that look and feel like? <laughs> I was like that little kid on the playground. Hi, do you want to be my friend? And, you know, nobody does that when they're grown ups. But I just said, you know, screw it. I need to do this for my well being. I need to connect with people. So I hate talking on the phone. I'm I like to be face to face with people. I like to see their mouth moving. Um, I like to see what they're wearing. I like to feel their energy. And so I would just say, hey, do you want to go have tea with me? I don't drink coffee. So I'd say, hey, do you want to go have tea with me? Or my other big thing was, hey, do you want to go for a walk? In LA, you know, we have the, well, they're not really mountains <laughs> to real mountain people, but we have the hills in the Hollywood Hills. and. And that's where I lived. And so I'd say, hey, do you want to go for, we call it a hike, but it's really a walk. Um, and so those were my two go-to things. And, you know, you either hit it off with somebody or you don't. And it's, it's not a big deal. And um, I really had to learn to not take things personally. And I had to learn to really... I'll say be aggressive, but I don't mean that in a negative way. If I really liked somebody, I would ask them again and make another date. And, um, you know, it's super, super hard to read some people um, starting a new relationship with as an adult. And I imagine that's the same in a loving relationship as well, a romantic relationship. Um, if I can't, if somebody asks me to do something and I can't do it, I don't say, oh, I can't that day. I say, oh, I can't that day, but I can do it this day or that day and, you know, put an add on to it. If I so if someone says to me, oh, I can't do that Wednesday, I think, oh, ho hum, they don't like me. But that's not what it meant at all. They just didn't have the skill to realize they should say, oh, I can't do it Wednesday, but I can do it the next day. And I think that's a super important aspect that people need to learn. Uh when starting friendships or when dating is uh, to make that effort. How many of these relationships do you think would actually like actually evolved into deeper, deeper friendships? Um, I would say right now, I like quality relationships over a quantity. So I'll take just a handful of amazing people over having 10 or 20 just so-so people. You know, I'm in the second part of my life at this point. I just want, I'm all about quality. So I would say I got about six amazing close girlfriend relationships that I still talk to and interact um, to this day. And, you know, you draw to you what you need. So, of course, I drew people to me that were having a similar journey. And so we could help each other. And we'd been we've we traveled a similar road. I always say, you know, we're all going through the same thing. All of us are. It's just that our packaging is different. Right. So my trouble came from trauma. Someone else's trouble might come from a divorce, which, you know, is trauma in itself. So. Um, you know, we're all going through the same thing. We're all in the same boat. It's just, you know, our package is different. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, 
listen to this entire podcast, and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way, you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. I, w- I want to go back. You, you talked about journaling and you talked about what that opened up for you. Were there other things that you did around sort of your, I guess, mental work or emotional work, like um, stuff outside of the, the, the body healing stuff? Yeah, I really had to make a point of also spending time every day in nature and um I realized for me that a connection with the earth was absolutely vital to my well-being. And, you know, it always takes science and um, the people in the know to catch up um, with the rest of us. But, you know, now they're coming out with this thing. They're calling it ecotherapy. And they're saying, oh, you need to spend time in nature so you're not depressed. You know, well, duh, of course we do. You know, the greatest healer we have is is a mother earth and so you know if i can't get out for a walk in my nature area you know i at least take the time to be outside in my garden and um and be with nature and whether that's journaling or meditating or taking a walk uh that is vital to me and i have to tell you when um sometimes i'm feeling blue I think, okay, what, let me look at my practice. Have I forgotten to do something? And without fail, it's always, I didn't make time to, you know, spend time in nature. Nature is the greatest healer and uh, she gives us what we need. And that time for silent contemplation. And so that's a really must have in my life. Um, and, you know, nature can be found anywhere, even in New York City. When I was in New York recently, I just booked a hotel near Central Park. And I'm like, you yeah, know, there you go. There's nature. Um, you know, a potted plant in your apartment is nature. Um, but being able to spend time in the stillness. And, you know, the Japanese have something they call forest, forest bathing. And I love that their government sanctions forest bathing. And they, they tell their, their people, you need to spend time in the forest, not talking with your friends, but in quiet contemplation together or alone. And could you imagine in the United States if our leader said that to the people, how different our country would be? It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it is, it is amazing. You mentioned journaling, you mentioned a nature practice, or you refer, refer to as practice like going out into nature. What are the other elements of your practice? Um, so in my book, Unmedicated, I talk about having four pillars and they're clearing your mind, nurturing your spirit, strengthening your body and finding your tribe. And so I spend time in each of those categories every day. And, you know, I've really whittled it down. It sounds like, oh my gosh, that must take, you know, hours of your time. Um, but it, it doesn't, it may at first, but I'm an expert by now. Uh, so I make the time to do these things every day. Um, and so really the meditation and the journaling takes care of my depression, anxiety, and my mental state. And then for my physical body, you know, we can't forget that as well. So it's eating right, staying away from sugar. Um, but also I work a lot on just building my physical body because when you suffer from illness, if you suffer from anxiety or depression, uh, it depletes your system. 
And this is another thing that science is a little behind on. Uh, so I take a lot of supplements to really help build my body back up. And I eat only organic food. I stay away from sugar. Uh, and it's super important. You really, it needs to be an all-encompassing program. We can't do one without the other, right? We are, we have a physical body made of cells and that rebuilds itself constantly, thank goodness. And then we have our mental state and, you know, our spiritual state. And we really need to tend to all of them as well as our outside influences, which is what our work that we do in the world um, and our friendships as well. So I want, I want to read this back. So you said clearing mind, physical body, finding tribe and spiritual. Are those the four? Um, clear your mind, nurture your spirit, strengthen your body, and find your tribe. Okay. So clearing your mind, I got um, journaling, going into nature, under um, building your body, um, no sugar, eating organic. You said you take supplements. What type of supplements do you take? Um, just things that would give me what I need instead of taking antidepressants. Um, so they're all natural types of supplements that my naturopath subscribes to me. I take a lot of fish oils and things like that. Um, things you could just get in the grocery store. I'm, um, a big proponent of, I, my doctor is, He's an MD, but he's also an ND. So he really always errs on the side of, of natural, which I really appreciate. I think finding a good fit with a physician is really, really important. And I hit the gold mine. He actually wrote the foreword to my book. I'm so blessed. And, um, you know, finding good healthcare practitioner that listens to you and believes in you and works with you in the way that you need to be worked with is, is vital. So yeah, he, he gives me all my supplements and you know, I'd rather not take anything. I'd rather get things from my diet, but um, you know, I'm so anxiety prone that I just really need to continue supplementing and you know, that's how I am. So I'm good with it. That makes sense. Um, all our bodies have our own, their own sort of unique chemistry, right? And we need to sort of figure out different ways to to optimize that. So we have to really honor, um, like what you said, we're all of our bodies are different. We have to honor what our bodies need. I talk a bit about um, sleep in the book, and for me, I need nine hours of sleep, not eight or not six, but I need nine, and that's a lot. And so I go to bed, you know, at old lady hours, uh, but that's what I, I need, and I've always needed that. And, you know, instead of complaining about it, I just do it. And, you know, my husband, he needs six hours, and it's like, well, you know, that's not really being a superhero. I think people should get eight, but if you can function normally on six hours, you know, good for you, but I can't do that. Under finding your tribe, it sounds like you found your tribe. So how do you continue to nurture it? Um, really important. And for me, I tend to move a lot, unfortunately. Um, I think I'm rooted now, finally, but um, keeping in contact and really making the effort and um like i mentioned earlier a lot of my friends are like me so we tend to be isolators uh, people that suffer from depression tend to isolate a lot because um like i'd mentioned we feel like we're not worthy we like a lot of alone time and so i try to not let my friends isolate and I can feel it. I put my feelers out and I can tell who's isolating. I haven't received a text from them or a call or an email. I can tap into them and tune in and feel like they're having a hard time. And so I reach out and if they're local, we can get together. If, if not, um, you know, we can drive halfway and meet, but I really take the time to nurture those friendships and to learn to be a good listener. Uh, and that's really important in relationships too, is, um, you know, that balance of give and take. When I was really, really sick, I was really needy. I wanted someone to hear about my pain and my trauma. And, 
you won't believe what happened to me. And, oh, my dad is such an a-hole. And um, I was very needy. And I had to learn to also be a good listener. And it sounds really easy, but when I started to analyze my friendships, I realized that I was the one that was taking a lot and draining people. So when I really learned to become a good listener and keep a balanced relationship, I ended up with a lot more friends. And so I take the time to do things and nurture my relationships. Um, you know, some people do well with email relationships. You know, I don't. I really need um, that face-to-face -face time. I, want, I really want to sit in somebody's energy, especially in this day and age, right, of Skype and FaceTime and email and texting. Um, you know, we need, we need human companionship. There's more to a relationship than a text. We need to be in the presence of other beings. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You were talking about listening, and I started to wonder what that looked and felt like for you. Yes, um, it sounds silly, but uh, I had to train myself to listen. The other thing I noticed about myself is that um, I was so deprived of friendships that when I had one, I would talk over people. Part of it is my psychic ability. I knew what they were going to say, and I'd finish their sentence. And the other part of me was my bad memory, which is from early childhood trauma, um, if I didn't spit out what I wanted to say, I would forget it. And so I would kind of blow over as they were talking. And uh, I'm really glad that I caught that in myself. And it's really good your listeners can see if they do that as well. And being a radio host, you've had to learn to stay silent until the other person stops talking as much as you want to interject. It doesn't make for good radio. So I really had to catch myself in these types of behaviors and train myself and I would ask my friends I would say you know what I'm I need to try and work on being a good listener I need to try and work on not interrupting you um, you know will you help me with these things and of course they're happy to help but I was really able to do it on my own just by you know 99% of the work is noticing what you need to fix the rest can be easier it's the awareness is that most important first step and um, without the awareness how can you change and so I had the awareness that I needed to change those things in my relationships with friends so it's like what I'm hearing is that there was an awareness in you but also like that you were trying to be conscious of this but you also asked your friends to help you with it yes um, you know, I'm all about taking action steps and my action steps were to take action on my awareness because if you just have the awareness and you don't do anything about it, what's what good is having the awareness that that does nothing. And so taking the action on it and then employing their help with it as well. And I have to tell you, it helps so many people by saying that um, I do this with my employees uh, by telling them this is what I've done, they noticed it in themselves as well. Because a lot of people talk over people and they don't mean to. They don't feel like what they have to say is more important. They just don't have the awareness. And so when we all speak, uh, we help each other. I want to ask you a little bit about, well, actually, is there anything else that you learned around listening that like helped you to become a good listener? And, and one other question like that's kind of connected to that. When you were picking the skill up, did you find you also spent a lot of time in your head? <laughs> yeah, I have one of those brains that is hard to shut off. Um, and so, yes, I spend a lot of time in my head. And actually, to this very day, I prefer to be alone. I love silence. I don't like to listen to the radio. I love being home alone um, because that's where I get my ideas. And that's sort of my life journey is um, to have silence and to be in my head because I get really great ideas which help me um, help the world. Uh, but all of that really helped me gain more compassion. Um, and it's interesting, I see this with my son, he's only nine, we had, we do everything different, I had him later in life. And um, I didn't realize that you had to teach people compassion. 
it doesn't really come built in and empathy. And so I found that by becoming a good listener, uh, it really developed that compassion point in me to become really mega compassionate because when you have to be silent and listen to somebody, you take them in fully, really more deeply at a level that you wouldn't if you're thinking about your next question you want to ask them or the thing you want to talk over over their voice about. And so it enabled me to really have deep compassion for my friends or really anybody that I'm in a dialogue with. Yeah, super helpful. Um, your spiritual practice, what does that look and feel like? So... I like to do mine, well, really, I live my whole life as a spiritual practice, but the actual action steps I like to do in the morning. So in the morning, I get my husband out the door and my child out the door. And, you know, I'm still in my pajamas, so I get my shower. <clears throat> and then for me, I go into my studio um, where I write and meditate and I, I start off with meditation. I always say to people, I would never leave the house without brushing my teeth. And I, I feel strongly about meditation in the same way. And, you know, I'm human. Some days I don't get to it. I have a meeting or a radio show or something to get to. And that's okay. I forgive myself. There's no problem there. Um, but I really, it's a great way for me to start my day. And some days my head is full of ideas and I can't do the quiet Zen tuning in meditation. And so I'll go back to my, my old ways and maybe put on meditation music and just sit. Um, but the most important thing for me is to take the action of sitting every day. It doesn't matter what type of meditation I do. And then I do my journaling. I sort of fiddle around with the altar I've created and um, and then I get off to my writing work for for daily Elm. So those are uh, those are my biggies. My other biggie is my action step is to take a walk every day, and I I walk up my hill, and that clears helps clear my head, and that's just really one of my action steps that I take uh, to stay out of depression. And it's just my little program I've developed for myself um, because my depression always wants to win. It's always in the background and it always wants to throw a blanket over me. And so by taking these physical action steps, it's my way of saying, you know what? I'm in control here. We're keeping you at bay. I'm going to do this important work for myself. And, um, you know, that's how I really stay centered and balanced and able to do the work that I do for the world. That's great. I mean, you've, you've talked a lot about unmedicated and the four pillars of wellness. How did you develop them? And when you first had the idea for the book, like what was the, mo the motivation? The motivation was simply an offering to people. I'm not anti-doctor or anti-medicine. They both saved my life. For me, I wanted something different. I wanted to not be reliant on these meds every day. That really made me feel a bit like a zombie. And, you know, I've been on all of them. And I was tired of that roller coaster kind of hamster wheel sort of life. And so I thought, you know, over the years, this program I made for myself, you know, and there's no trademark after it. It's just what I do for myself. I thought if this worked for me, I'd like to share this and make this available, these ideas for other people. And none of these things that I do are new. I haven't invented something new, but what they are for me are the action steps to keep the depression and anxiety at bay and in check. And so really the impetus behind putting this out to the public is just to help all of my fellow sufferers. And, you know, it's not only people that suffer from depression, anxiety, it's, you know, all of these things that we do, keeping over busy, um, you know, all those kind of self-sabotaging behaviors that we are very sneaky about and we're so brilliant about. Uh, it helps with all of those types of things, staying isolated, over committing, 
um, being indecisive, uh, distracting yourself. Um, all of these things are behaviors. And so these action steps help with all of that as well. You mentioned daily OM. I wonder if you could talk about daily OM and, and what you're doing with daily OM and, and what inspired you to start daily OM. Yeah. So daily OM started in 2004 my husband and I started it and it really started out as, um, <clears throat> me writing a daily essay about 300 words about awareness and consciousness and how to live a better life. Um, and a lot of these concepts I talk about and I talk about, Oh, forgiveness and people that annoy you. Um, really the full gamut that, um, the most popular fan mail that I get is how did you know what I needed to hear today? And the answer is like we discussed, we're all in the same boat. We're all going through the same thing. Um, so, uh, we just, Scott and I, we just wanted to do something bigger to help, to, um, shift humanity, uh, as people on the planet. And we felt a great need to reach a lot of people and we send out 4 million emails a day. So we do help a lot of people. And, um, as the business grew, we started adding online courses, um, some by from me and uh, most of them by other people as well. And that's our business revenue is to, to sell the courses. Um, I didn't want to take advertising mostly because uh, I was super picky about who I would be in alignment with. And back in 2004, um, you know, there weren't a lot of companies that I would have taken money from. So that was our business model. And, you know, we have 17 employees and um, we've created a good life for ourselves. And, uh, you know, the email that I get from people, it's beautiful and it's heartbreaking. And so I know it's working. But, you know, I get email from people saying they were going to kill themselves that day. And as a former suicidal person, I know what that's like. And they, they read a story that I wrote and said, you know, I didn't kill myself. And so, you know, shut the front door. What what greater gift is there than that to, you know, save a human life? And, you know, I say that without ego. That's that's what happens when we come together as community talking about our issues. Yeah, it's so important as human beings that we don't feel we're alone. Yeah, well, you know, most people, I think, do feel alone and we do feel isolated and um, we have low self-esteem and we need to say, you know what, forget it. I'm going to let my uh, freak flag fly and get out there and show people who I am. And if they don't like it, that's okay. And if they like it, amazing. You know, this is me, this is who I am. And, uh, uh, you know, take the leap. It's worth it. I would say to people. Can you talk about some of the different courses? I want to talk about some of the different types of meditations that you have on your site, but can you start talking about some of the different courses that you do? Yes. Um, the ones that I have written, I've written a course about um, for the highly sensitive person. These are people that, you know, they're not snowflakes. They're people that are super sensitive um, to sight, touch, sound, human emotions. We feel things. Um, much more deeply than other people. About 10% of the population has this trait of high sensitivity. So I've written a course about that. Um, I have a course um, called Meditation for Beginners. And this is a really great course that um, I sort of believe with meditation, there's a lid for every pot, right? Um, there is a kind of meditation for everybody out there. You just have to find what works for you. This whole Zen lotus position meditation thing doesn't work for everybody. And that it doesn't work for me. So I list and through the course um, a whole lot of different kinds of meditations. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that there is a meditation out there for everybody. I also have a course about creating personal rituals in your life. Uh, I believe, I think America, because we're such a new country, we lack the idea of ritual. And um, that doesn't need to be a scary word. It can be as simple as, you know, buying yourself flowers every week. That's a ritual. Uh, and uh, I really feel like when we lose ourselves, we lose our connection to spirit. We, have, we also 
are lacking ritual in our life. And that's why connecting with friends is so great because that's a ritual as well. Um, courses by other people. We have courses from Gabrielle Bernstein, Deepak Chopra, um, really the full gamut from relationships to eating well. We have yoga courses, um, something for everybody. That's awesome. Um, what, what are two or three of your favorite courses? Ooh, um, I tend to love more of the the squishy ones because I've sort of been on my healing journey. Um, I don't need some of the real hardcore changing your life things. Um, but I'm a writer, so I really love our writing courses that we have. And you know, if you've out there been out there looking ever at to take a writing course, they're you know, a few hundred dollars and ours is, I think, $25. So people write in a lot saying they really appreciate that. So I really love the writing courses in particular and sort of more of the creativity type of things. For someone who's listening to this and they're, they're trying to develop their own practice and maybe they're not quite sure what they're missing. Um, we talked about um, some of the things that you laid out that helped you heal, but um even with some of the courses, there's so much diversity. You seemed, even when you were, it sounds like you're the most shut down, you seem to have had the ability to listen to your intuition. How does somebody who doesn't know where where they're at or where they need to go either connect with that or figure out what it is that they need? Yeah, it all comes back to being quiet. Believe me, I didn't have an intuitive bone in my body when I was sick. Um, sickness ruled my life. I didn't know anything about being psychic or intuitive or spiritual. I wasn't raised with that. That was all, you know, boogie woogie man stuff to me. It was weird. And so just by taking the time every day to sit quiet, my intuition kicked in. It was almost as if the angels were waiting for me. Oh, she's sitting, she's getting quiet now, go in. And, um, you know, we have our chance, get into her head. You know, and I say that in the most sweetest, beautiful way, it's not anything evil, but um, that is the number one thing you can do is to take time every day to be quiet. And you need to take, when you take the time every day to be quiet, what that does is it sends a message to universe. It's almost like they're on speed dial, right? And it's like, hey, you're saying, I, this is important to me. I am serious now. I will take care of a little bit of time. Five or 10 minutes is all we ask. I'll take the time to get quiet. And yes, my brain's going to think about my shopping list and I'm going to get frustrated. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Sit. I was the worst meditator ever. And you know, it's called a practice for a reason. So pick a kind of meditation that you can. Do what I did. Listen to just quiet music at first. Just take the time every day to sit because you're declaring to the universe when you take that action, I'm ready. I guarantee you, your life will start to unfold and you too will hear the whisper. Absolutely beautiful. Any last tips, insight, words, or wisdoms for people who are listening to this who want to live happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives? Yeah, I would say um, don't feel overwhelmed. Honestly, I was a pathetic, pathetic mess of a human being. Just, you know, I could weep for myself when I think about the person that I was so sick, so tired, um, just so distressed in very bad shape. And I would say to people, if I can do this, me scared, me can do this. Anyone can do this. I am absolutely nobody special. I'm a regular person. I'm trying to do extraordinary things, but a regular person doing regular things is an amazing person. And so if I can do this, if I can change my life around, um, anybody can. I, I'm, I had, you know, I had no help, really. It was, it was all me. And um, yeah, it's available to everyone. All these tools that I teach, they're, they're either free or very inexpensive. Mastin, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your story. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this, you want to learn more about Madison and everything she does, we're going to post a link on the Craft Christmas website and within the description of this podcast so that you can find out about her more easily. We cut out there for a second, but thank you again.
Thank you. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.